All right. Well, nobody's allowed to ask a question of Ryan, at least for the next month, okay? <laughs> Is that a deal? All right. Well, wow, what a, what a, a great privilege to be here uh, with you all. And uh, Ryan, you've done excellent. And Krista, it was beautiful just hearing your testimony in your heart. was just so clear and transparent in that time, wasn't it? So we praise God for that. Thanks. And uh, for the next few minutes, I'm going to issue a charge to Ryan regarding pastoral ministry. I know that most of you in the room are not uh, called of the Holy Spirit to pastoral ministry, and so there's a couple of ways we could do this. We could dismiss you all and, and put Ryan and Krista front and center and just preach at them, but I'm worried that you would eat all of the food, and so we're not going to do that. Uh, the other option is you can stay in here with us, and this little mini-sermon can be for you as well. You know, Hebrews chapter 13, 7 instructs believers this way. It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of the way, their way of life and imitate their faith. And so this pastoral way of life is uh, worthy of, of our imitation. And so if you're a, a ministry leader in the room in your particular church, you are called to pastor that flock within the local flock. If you're a, a father in this room. You were called to pastor that flock. If you're an employee in the room, you are the, the chaplain of your office. You're put there by the providential hand of, of God. If you're a student, you are the spiritual director of your dorm, your hall, your extracurricular. If you are a, a, a neighborhood member, you can be the pastor of that neighborhood, the chaplain to that neighborhood. Can you imagine with me if we all together collectively took up that charge to be pastoral and to shepherd and to care wherever it is that God has us today, whether it's in Boston or in western Massachusetts or up in New Hampshire. If we all took that charge, we might just see the third great awakening here in New England. And so I want to pray to that end, and then we'll get into the scriptures tonight. Let's, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for just the way things are going so far. We just give you all glory and honor and praise for what you're doing. God, thank you for Ryan. Thank you for Krista. Thank you for Micah and the, the baby to come. Uh, we just praise you for, for your good hand in their lives. It's been so evident by everything that has been said that you have called him first into salvation, and then you've called him into this great work of pastoral ministry. God, I just pray that in our time together as we look at your word that you would be honored and that you would illuminate scripture to our hearts and minds in a way that only your Holy Spirit can do. May it not be persuasive words, but may it be you Amen. in this time. And so we commit it to you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. If you do have a Bible or you have a phone with the Bible app on it, we'll be in 1 Peter chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through 4. 1 Peter 5, 1 through 4. And we'll also have it on the screen. I, I really just couldn't think of a more appropriate text to look at together uh, than this one here. 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 4. And so let me read it for us. He says, so I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder, as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. And so what we have here is we have the Apostle Peter, he himself being this common, uneducated fisherman 
called and empowered by God the Holy Spirit as a pastor and as well as an apostle. And he's speaking to pastors and elders and and, and overseers of the churches of Pontus and Galatia and and Cappadocia and and Asia and Bithynia, if you read back in chapter 1, verse 1. And what is his primary charge in this text to these pastors, to these ministers? It is, verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Call us to shepherd the, the flock of God. And shepherd is where we get our word pastor. And it's used interchangeably in the New Testament with the terms elders and, and overseers. And in this particular passage, we see all three here. In verse 1, we have elder. In verse 2, we have shepherd. And also in verse 2, we have oversight, which is the noun form of, uh, or the verb form of the noun overseer. And so what we have here is, is really something speaking to these roles, these names, these terms that are, are interchangeable, this office within the church that is ultimately calling of God the Holy Spirit. And the model that he gives us here for leadership is that of a shepherd. It's a very familiar model for the people of that day and much less familiar for us today. Uh, So this past Memorial Day Monday, my family and I and and my niece went to a a local farm uh, out in western Massachusetts and we uh, saw these cute little animals, but we also saw this little sheep. And I know uh, for me, and I would imagine for you, much like myself, this is the closest that I really have ever gotten to uh, real, literal (laughs) shepherding. And so I'm going to have to break that down a bit for us. But before we do, I think the first thing we need to do is we need to identify our flock. And so I think it's easily identifiable for Ryan and for the pastors here uh, tonight. But we, we all need to identify our, our flock. And, and, and for, for you, maybe your flock, again, is, is your family. Maybe your flock is a ministry that you lead within your local church. Maybe your flock is your workplace, your neighborhood, your, your school. And some might say, okay, wait a second, Josh, if we were to be technical and Trust me, I've got to be technical when I've got a front row of pastors right here. But if, if we were to be technical, when we look at the scriptures in the Bible, sheep are, are Christians. And so my coworkers and my doormates, they, they can't be Christians and they, they necessarily, and they, they can't be sheep as we talk about shepherding here. But, but let me remind you that in Matthew chapter 9, verse 36, Jesus looks at non-Christians in this crowd and he has compassion on them because they are like what? They are like sheep without a shepherd. And so what does he do? He appoints himself their, their shepherd, and he teaches them, and he feeds them. And, and you need to appoint yourself as a shepherd to the people in your own life. You don't need an official title. You don't need your own church. You need compassion like Jesus. And you look at them, and you say, they, they're, they're like sheep without a shepherd. And so start caring for them under the ultimate example of Jesus Christ. Now, Notice that Peter says this. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Those couple of words are very important. Uh, Among you. In other words, shepherd the flock of God that you have right now. And as much as we want to keep Ryan here forever, we know that one day he's going to move on and that among you will look probably a little bit different. But for all of us, we, we need to understand who, who is it that we're called to shepherd? Who is it that is our flock among us right now? And let me, just, let me just tell you a dirty little secret of, of pastors. Many pastors, I just heard, uh-oh. Many pastors oftentimes are caught daydreaming about leading, pastoring, shepherding that other church. That's, that's just the truth, whether it's that, that mega church that they long to have something comparable to, or, or whether it's the church without 
those people, you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> or, or maybe it's even their own church, but five years from now with, with more ministry leaders, with greater numbers, greater resources, building. But that's not the flock of God that is among you right now. What does Peter say? He says you are to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. The, the real one, not the one you're longing for, not your fantasy church. The flock that God has in front of you right now today. And so for the, the non-elders, the non-overseers, the non-pastors in this room, it might be for you, your real family, right? Not the, the, the Brady Bunch or, or not the, the, the family that has the, the big house with all of the resources that will really help you in parenting. God, if you would just give me that house, I could really parent well. We would have a lot of space. We say that all the time here in Boston. Or, or the, the family that has the, the big budget so that we can spend quality time together in these exotic locations, right? And we long for this, this non-existent kind of fantasy flock or family. Maybe for you it's not the current place of employment that you find yourself at today, but it's the one that you long to be at. And the call here to the pastors and the call here in a sense to all of us who are to imitate their way of life is to pastor or to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, the the real flock that you have right now. So stop daydreaming. And once we stop daydreaming and we accept the call to to shepherd the the flock, what do we need to do? And let me just highlight a few things, uh, some some insights uh, from Peter, ultimately the Holy Spirit. First of all is this, and I just want to give you three. First of all is, is this, pastoring is difficult work, but it's worth it. That's the first thing I think we see here is that, that pastoring is difficult work, but it's, it's worth it. And, and, and I know for Ryan and I, together, we have already seen a, a lot of difficulty in, in, in ministry. I mean, just last week, we were hanging out the, at the police station together. That's a story for another time, maybe over, <laughs> over dinner. And, and, and that's, the, that's the reason why Jesus, and now here Peter, uses this example of of shepherding rather than a king or, or a, a governor or some kind of lofty leadership role because it's, it's, it's kind of this lowly, humble, challenging, difficult work, the work of ministry. It's this work of, of, of shepherding, pretty lowly role. And, and shepherds are called to, to, to care for the sheep. And they're, they're not the most prestigious of animals are they the sheep they're not lions i want you to tame the lions pastors brothers no i want you to to care for the the sheep you know sheep are the only animal known to man with absolutely no sense of direction whatsoever i mean if they 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 wander away from home they will be completely lost some of you are thinking that is my wife actually but (laughs) but if they wander from home they're completely lost and, and, and it's, it's, it's unlike, you know, maybe your, pan, your, your pets where your, your, your dog wanders and you give it enough time, he'll, he'll come back. But sheep, they just, they just go in circles and, and they eventually even begin to panic and they, they can't even feed themselves. And, and so that's why Jesus sees the lost and he says they're like sheep without a shepherd. They're, they're lost and they, they can't find themselves. I got to find them and I got to bring them to the fold. And he has this great compassion for them. Another thing we need to know about sheep is that sheep are, are defenseless. Have you ever heard of a, a sheep fight? <laughs> you don't, right? They, they can't scratch, they can't kick, they can't bite. 
If a predator comes at them, they will be completely devoured. I mean, even the littlest of predators, like, like flies, they, they lay eggs all over the sheep, and it will you know, eventually even, even kill them unless the shepherd comes to pick the flies out. They are, they're, they're vulnerable to all kinds of ailments. So, so just simple things, like if the ground is too wet, sheep can get foot rot. If, if, if they're, they're, they're grazing near weeds and, 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 and plant life that's not good for them, they, they, they can't discern not to eat that. They can't even think about, well, my experience says don't eat that. They just eat whatever's in front of them, even toxic stuff. When they get injured, they, they lack this, this self-will, this self-preservation instinct, and they often just give up and just die. Sheep also really need to be very carefully fed. They have a a very weak digestive system. And so soft, wet grass is is bad for them. It makes them sick. It can hurt them. For their their drinking water, they're they're, they're very picky. It can't be too hot. It can't be too cold. When they they, they go to to drink water, the, the water obviously can't be stagnant because it would then be unhealthy water. But it also can't be too swift because it scares them and they won't drink the water. And so they need to be led beside still waters, but not stagnant waters for them to drink because they're, they're, they're picky. You, you get the picture that, that sheep without shepherds cannot survive. And so shepherding in that day is this, this full-time, very challenging, difficult, and humbling work. You're picking flies and, and, and bugs out of the wool. You're, you're, you're fending off predators. You're, you're searching constantly for, for green pastures, for healthy grazing. You're, you're carrying the wounded ones on your, your, your shoulder, all the while being considered lowly and unworthy in, in the culture's eyes. That's pastoral ministry. That's pastoral ministry. It wasn't just, let me grab the nearest illustration to me. How about a shepherd? God is very strategic and skillful when he lists this, this great example of, of the shepherd. In all of this, Peter reminds them, listen, it's very difficult, but it's worth it. He says, I, I know this because I'm one of you. If you look at verse 1, he says, as a fellow elder, as a fellow elder, I'm, I'm, I'm one of you. Listen, I love you all, but nobody knows a pastor like a pastor. Nobody knows the struggles of a pastor like another pastor, and he says, I'm one of you. I, I understand the, the difficulties very, very well. But he goes on, he, he's not just a peer. He also reminds them of, of his authority as an apostle. That's why he says, I'm also a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And so uh, an apostle had to be a witness to Christ, and Peter was. And so he speaks as a peer, but he also speaks as an authority. And under this peer and under this uh, authority kind of power and relationship, he says, listen, you've got to hear me. The difficulties are, are, are worth it. They're worth it. He says, I, I say this as a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed. I, I, I take this uh, seriously. I, I'm telling you, it is so worth it. Just, just hear me on this. What, what's he talking about when he, he says, I'm a partaker of the glory that is going to be revealed? He's talking about the, the second coming of Jesus, that he's going to come back and you're going to see him And he's so glorious, he's so majestic, he's so beyond us, he's so wonderful. He is the reward, not the mansion in heaven. And when you see him, it is so worth it. And and he says, I'm a partaker of that glory. So he's not simply saying, I'm guessing it's going to be worth it from what he's told me. 
But he's saying, listen, I have seen the, the glory that is to be revealed, and I have partaken of that. And when was that? That was at the, the transfiguration, right? When Jesus took Peter and James and John to the, the, the mount, and he, he pulled back the veil of his, his Shekinah glory, and they saw the holy brilliance of the Lord, and it says they fell over like dead men because he was just truly amazing. And Peter is saying, listen, I'm telling you, as a fellow pastor, for my position of authority as an apostle and as a partaker, I've been there, I've seen the glory revealed. It's so worth it. Ryan, it's going to be hard. You already know much of that. It can be very challenging, but Peter says it is, it is worth it when you see the Lord face to face. No regrets. No regrets. The next thing we see is that, that pastoring is often abused but it's not to be abandoned. It's often abused. It's not to be abandoned. If you look at verse 2, it tells us to shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight. And really what oversight means is that you keep a watchful eye on the sheep. You're in the business of caring for the sheep. You're protecting them from danger. You're providing them with direction. You're helping them when they're hurt. And you're ultimately leading them to the green pastures so that they cannot feed off of you. They can feed off of what God has provided for them. And that ultimately is his Word and, and you're given that responsibility to exercise that oversight over the flock of God that is among you, that particular grouping of sheep within the, the greater flock that we call the universal church. Now, giving this kind of responsibility to a man, or as we believe, a plurality uh, of men, is very risky business, isn't it? Because men are, are sinful and, and, and they can fail. And, and what Peter does is he gives us uh, three abuses that are not uncommon. He says, here are some abuses, and maybe you've even seen them in your own life. And, and I apologize on behalf of, of the office of elder and overseer and pastor uh, for that. And I pray that uh, you will see, and I know that you'll see confidently in, in this man, Ryan Ackerman, quite the opposite. But the first abuse that he tells us about is compulsion. He says that, that there are some people who are, are, are exercising this, this oversight uh, under compulsion. Like, I'll just, I'll just, I just got to do this. And, and, and this is when a man enters into pastoral ministry out of compulsion. It could be the compulsion of, of pride. I recently knew, uh, I know of a man that, that just recently burnt out um, from, from pastoral ministry. And because, you know, from my understanding and from his own admission, uh, he was in pastoral ministry for the stage. It was the compulsion of his own pride and, and having leadership and having people look and follow. It might just be the, the compulsion of, of logic, you know, feeling forced by, by pressure to, to fulfill a role. It just makes sense. I'm here, but not really discerning. Is this really what God has called? You know, 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 gives us very clear qualifications for this role. Scriptures will also tell us uh, in, in Acts, as, as Ryan quoted earlier, that the Holy Spirit appoints you as an overseer. You don't just step up to, to, to fill a role. And so maybe it's the compulsion of logic. Maybe it's the compulsion of entrepreneurialism. Have you ever seen that? I've seen Christian businessmen who, who, who have just, you know, they, they've conquered the, the corporate world. And they thought, well, I'm, I'm also a Christian. Maybe I'll just conquer the ministry world. And often fail because they were accepting this role and taking this role under 
compulsion. Abuses to, to pastoral ministry. Abuses. The only reason to be in pastoral ministry is because the Holy Spirit has pointed you, gifted you as an overseer. And Peter says, and you enter into it willingly. Root word being will, right? Because it's the, the will of God. And as Ryan said, I just have to do, this is what I have to do. I couldn't do anything else. And through our church's Center for Ministry Training, we often uh, work with aspiring young pastors. And, and, and one question we, we often will ask these guys is, listen, if you weren't pastoring, what would you do? What is your, your plan B? And when they say, I have no plan B, we start to say, that, that's somebody who, who perhaps God is actually calling. I, I don't want to do anything else. I, I couldn't see myself doing anything else. That's a good sign that they're doing it willingly. I just, I have to do this. I want to do this. He's, he's shifted my affection and my desire towards pastoral ministry. And so I do it willingly and not under compulsion. He goes on with, with abuses. He says, not for, for shameful gain. This is the pastor who's in it for himself, for himself. In Jude chapter 1, uh, verse 12, it speaks to false teachers who are in it only to feed themselves. The, pastoring is about feeding the sheep, not, not getting stuff for yourself, not about uh, personal gain of, of power or attention, and certainly not money, uh, certainly not uh, self-fulfillment. <laughs> pastoring is about feeding sheep, deeply loving the people, the flock, and, and working out of, of that, not for shameful gain for yourself, but eagerly. I just love them, and I have to, to serve them. I'm eager to serve them. I'm eager to, to be there, and that's leadership under the example of Jesus, right? He says, if you want to be the greatest, you got to get down and you got to serve. That's, that's leadership. And the last abuse that Peter speaks to here is he, he speaks about domineering over people. And that's the, the, the man who just has to flex his power all the time. He's hard. He's abrasive. He uses intimidation uh, to call people to line up and to follow me, and you need to listen. And Peter says, no, pastoral ministry is different. It's, it's, it's different. Pastoral ministry is about being an example to the flock. It's about living an exemplary life, that you're the kind of person that people want to imitate. You don't force them to do what I do and do as I say. And so pastoral ministry can be abused, can't it? And perhaps you've seen it, whether it's by compulsion or for shameful gain or as an excuse to exercise dominion and domineer over people. And because of this, I know many people are leery of, of, of pastoral ministry and, and even coming up under that kind of leadership. But listen, because of that, we can't just simply abandon the position because of the abuses for all the reasons that we saw earlier. People need to be shepherded. They need to be shepherded. And here we are tonight because the council has come together and assessed Ryan and deeply believe that he is this kind of shepherd. He's willing, he's, he's eager, he's exemplary. Which leads me to um, the, the next verse and, and our last point for tonight, and that is that, that pastoring is to be exemplary, but Christ-exalting. It's to be exemplary, but, but Christ-exalting. Pastors are to be exemplary, as we already have lined up. They're, they're, they're to be worth imitating, but only because they themselves are imitating one another, and that is, that is Jesus. They're imitating Jesus. And pastors should be people who are really good at deflecting, right? You get a lot of pats on the back 
Good sermon, Pastor. That really touched my heart. Good word. You bless me, brother. But pastors need to be good at deflecting. And not just with their words, but sincerely deflecting. It is not me. It is completely Jesus. And, 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 and I think we would all agree. We all know Ryan very well. And we would all agree that this is so true of him. He is, he is characterized by just giving the Lord glory over and over and over again. He's characterized by exalting the, 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 the chief shepherd as we read about here in verse 4. And, and so here's how, here's how we close. Here's how we close. Ryan, as you press on into ministry, when, when Jesus is, is going to appear before you when this, this life is, is over, remember that you're going to receive the unfading crown of glory. The idea that it tells us that we're going to receive the, the unfading crown of glory is just so motivating, isn't it? keeps you pressing on. It's going to keep you pressing on. You deeply believe that he is the prize and he's going to give you this unfading crown of glory. Our current pastoral team is, is set up such that whenever sports talk comes our way, I just deflect to Ryan. Ryan, you got this. Go ahead. And, and, and he's really good at that. Uh, this guy is really good at talking about scores and, and stats and plays. And I just sit there like, uh-huh. I just I have no idea. And, and, and here's the truth, though. Not even Ryan Ackerman could go back five years and, and start to list off the World Series champions or the Super Bowl winners or the, the Stanley Cup recipients. Why? Because these crowns of, of glory, they just fade. They just fade. People don't really care years down the road. But, Ryan, as you press on in faithfulness, and I, I'm confident that you will know this, that you're going to receive a crown of glory that will never fade. That's what the scriptures tell us. It will, it will never fade. And so it's going to be hard. You're going to be pressed upon. Pressed upon by the weight of ministry, by the, the, the burden, by the anxiety for the churches that the Apostle Paul talks about. And you're going to gain very little in the eyes of, of the world. And you're going to have to, to fight to maintain that exemplary lifestyle that exemplary marriage, that exemplary role of, of fathering, that exemplary role of, of going after sheep, and, 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 and that exemplary role of, of being seen by outsiders as one who they say, yes, there's something different about his life. It's going to be really challenging, certainly rewarding, but the great reward comes when you receive the crown of glory that will never fail. And so don't quit. Keep your eyes on the prize. Press on. And the prize is Christ, right? Amen prizes the eternal riches of of jesus that will never fail will never fail never fail and so let me do this i want to i want to begin a time of prayer and we're just going to take 10 minutes or so and just pray over ryan and krista and so i'm going to invite them to to come up here and i'll open us up and then all of the other pastors we're just going to take a moment to pray for them and so if you guys could